Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes, and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Webbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Coming up on today's episode, we're going to hear from three dads walking. It's Mike, Andy and Tim, whose daughters all took their own lives. They've raised almost a million pounds in their memory. They've also been calling for suicide prevention lessons to be put on the curriculum. It's being debated in Parliament this week. So we'll hear from them about whether or not they think the government is doing enough. But before that... For two and a half years, Tuesdays have been all about Finkelvich, Daniel Finkelstein and David Wolovich. We bid farewell to David a couple of weeks ago. So now we've got a new Tuesday columnist pairing. In a world of politics without the boring bits, get ready for blockbuster debate on Times Radio. One is the wise voice of experience. The other, the young genius learning from the master. Together they are Finkelstein and Zeffman. Daniel Finkelstein and Henry Zeffman on Times Radio. Yeah, we say a very good morning to the mad professor of politics, Daniel Finkelstein. Morning, Danny. Good morning. I'm very pleased because I've now you've got rid of the H. I used to be Finkelstein. Yes, that was one of the... Day in... <laughs> We've sorted that. We've, We've sorted, sorted it. That. And flying around on the hoverboard of news, the Marty McFly of the Times, it's Henry Zeffman. Morning. Good morning. Pleasure. I've always wanted to be in a Marvel film or, you know, whatever it's thing back... we don't have the rights to that that sounded a bit like. It's Back to the Future. Oh, OK. Sorry. So for the purpose of this week, you are uh, Doc and Marty McFly. And who knows what you'll be next week? <laughs> we'll be in the know? Wild West or in the future, depending I, on which sequel. I sent Matt a note about this thing. Just host away, don't worry about it. I think I was probably too relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Anyway, it's nice to have you both here. It's nice to have you both here. Nice to have you. Welcome, welcome to Tuesday mornings, Henry. So, uh, let's start with small boats. Uh, it passed its legislation in the Commons, uh, the first stage anyway, in the Commons last night. This is a bit of what happened. The most grotesque slurs for saying such simple truths about the impact of unlimited and illegal migration. The worst among them, poisoned by the extreme ideology of identity politics, suggests 
that a person's skin colour should dictate their political views. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, I will not be hectored by out-of-touch lefties or anyone for that matter. We need urgent action to stop the dangerous boat crossings that are putting lives at risk and undermining our border security. But this bill is a con that makes the chaos worse. What should be clear from this is that whenever you close a route for migrants, whenever you close a route, the migrants and the people smugglers find another way. And anybody who thinks that this bill will deal with the issue of illegal migration once and for all is wrong. Uh, well, that was uh, Swallow Bravman, uh, Yvette Cooper, Labour's Shadow Home Secretary, and uh, Theresa May. Henry, uh, this is also only the first stage. Uh, slightly amusingly, there were the so-called Tory rebels who said this was absolutely disgusting. They definitely could support us like the Nazis, it's like Donald Trump. Uh, then none of them voted against it last night. I do think this is one of the many areas where people's understanding of politics was a bit warped by Brexit. Um, not to sound like a sort of stooge for MPs, but it is not normal for MPs to vote against the government whip. That's why being in majority government is so powerful, because you get to push your agenda through. And we have those sort of wild Brexit years where MPs, in some cases, government ministers serving, you know, and, and who kept their job, would rebel against the government and or, you know, Labour frontbenchers would rebel against the Labour whip. And that was just fine. And that was... Uh, but but actually, in normal times, and I think we are kind of in normal times, despite having had 12 prime ministers in six months or whatever it is, um, you, know, you have to be a real iconoclast to vote against a government bill at this stage, second reading. I suspect we will see rebellions on specific amendments later on, and, you know, certainly in the House of Lords. Um, but, you know, actually... Uh, now that we've returned to sort of normal politics, expressing grave concerns and then abstaining kind of is as far as you should expect MPs to go, I'm afraid. Particularly on the second reading. So the, what this was was that the second reading is a debate about the principle of the legislation. And the House of Lords doesn't vote on that at all, actually, uh, by convention, because it doesn't reject the principle of bills that come uh, from the and House and uh, from the House of Commons. And as uh, Henry's correctly said, you know, we'll get these amendments. And so speaking for myself, you know, I certainly I certainly have some serious focused concerns about the bill. But whether if I'd been in the House, I would have voted against the second reading is a different matter. Um, and I, so I suppose part of the problem is that maybe your Robert Buckland's and your, your Caroline Noakes's who, who during Brexit times might have got used to everyone asking their opinion on every piece of legislation amendment going, they were wrong in the first place, Henry, to say that they might vote against it. Well, I mean, Robert Buckland, a man who endorsed Rishi Sunak, then switched his endorsement to Liz Truss. Also, he could be Welsh Secretary for six weeks, I think is a special case uh, <laughs> in terms of uh, his behaviour not necessarily always tracking uh, the language that he would like to use. Uh, in front of his friends uh, in Lincoln's Inn. Um, Caroline Noakes, though, yeah, I think probably... Um, well, look, I mean, I, 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 no, I, I wouldn't denigrate her. I think, you know, by, by expressing grave concerns and, you know, then seeking to amend the bill, I think that is basically the life of a rebellious parliamentarian outside of, you know, extremely unusual times. Because ultimately they're not going to bring the bill... There are, because the government's got a decent majority, they're not going to bring the bill down. There's another, there's another reason for that, which is, I think, um, Theresa May is correct... Uh, whatever you do, uh, you're going to end up having to do something else because the people smugglers will find another way. But I think there's also a general feeling you can't do nothing. I certainly feel that. And I, and I actually had, 
you know, a, a debate with the Prime Minister about various aspects of this bill, which I didn't think I won. And one of the reasons I didn't win is because uh, he was basically pushing me to say what I would do as an alternative. And I'm sure I know what's wrong with this and couldn't stand behind some of it. And I, and I have concerns also about Suella Braverman's language. So, I, you know, I'm with rebels in many concerns with the bill, but you can't allow uh, this trade and these uh, to, to go on completely without constraint. I do understand and accept that. And then you're faced with, well, what do you do about it? And do you, I mean, there is an interesting question about the language that actually, would it be easier to take some of those concerned MPs who are more on the left of the Tory party if it wasn't, if basically Savannah Bowman didn't keep shooting her mouth off? Oh, I, I guess it would be. I, in the end, actually, um, what she's trying to do is rally support from people who think that language is suitable and like it, which are quite a lot of people. Yeah. And um, I think she's less bothered, and she has always been less bothered by people who find it offensive yeah. or stupid. And I think, um, you know, that... But when it comes down to it, if there is an amendment on this and it ends up being a tight vote, she might regret pointlessly winding people up. Yeah, I mean, that's always been my argument about people who use that kind of language, yes. yes. I mean, I think the, the twin track that's quite hard for the government to ride here is that, I mean, I actually don't think this bill, um, when it passes and in whatever form it passes, as it will, um, will be the most significant thing in whether, um, to use Rishi Sunak's phrase, you know, the boats are stopped. Um, I think what might end up being much more significant is the thaw in relations with France and with the EU more generally. Um, you know, it may well be that the extra money that Rishi Sunak has bunged France is what um, does more to stem the stem the flow um, rather than this bill, but the bill might end up getting credit for it. But what I think is tricky is for Rishi Sunak, on the one hand, um, you know, both to Europe but also to the voting public, to say, I'm an emollient peacemaker, I'm moving on, you know, actually, I, I, I'm just interested in getting things done. While Suella Bravman is saying things at the dispatch box, uh, you know, ultimately with his licence, because he has not stopped her doing so and he gave her the job, um, you know, the, the, of, of the sort that you just heard in that yeah. clip. I mean, interestingly, there was this Ipsops of my poll, and it is only one poll in its early days and all of that, but asked, who do you trust most to make it harder to enter the country illegally? The Conservatives are up 10 points to 40%. Among 2019 Conservative voters, up 19 points to 56%. So, I mean, that, so far we haven't seen any evidence of that feeding through into voter intention. But it does, it at least appears to have landed with the public. The, 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 the least the Conservatives are are trying to tackle this problem. I mean, I was speaking to someone uh, in the Labour Party who's, who's very involved in this area yesterday and was saying, you know, how concerned are you about the idea that even if the Tories don't stop the boats, uh, that if they are seen to be trying and have the fight and rail against lefty lawyers like Keir Starmer, you know, how concerned are you that the public will, or, or crucially, a chunk of 2019 Tory voters who have lost faith in the party return to the fold? And they said, look, a little bit concerned but ultimately, we think people are not going to vote on this issue in large numbers at the next election. That ultimately, the economy will not be in robust enough health. People will remember all the reasons that they've uh, become disenchanted with the Conservative Party since 2019 and those issues will dictate their vote, whatever they think about migration. That's what the opinion polls suggest. And I'm pretty convinced that 
I mean, it's an obvious play if you think the economy isn't going to sustain the incumbent government in election to seek another issue which the opposition cannot follow you on. That's a classic thing to do. It's what all the sort of political science literature suggests you should do. The question is, is this big enough, unique enough, and are you trusted enough on this issue? I, I doubt it. So I still think, you know, for the Conservative Party to stop Labour winning a majority even, they have to get the economy uh, you know, to be moving in the right direction. They have to be able to argue... Britain's on the right track, don't turn back at the election. I always say there are only three kinds of elections you can you can fight. It's time for a change, better the devil you know, and Britain's on the right track, don't turn back. And it's time for a change you can't win against, if that's the feeling of the country. Uh, it's better the devil you know is an argument you use when you can't make Britain's on the right track, don't turn back work. <laughs> um, and that's what they want to do. So if they can get the economy moving in the right direction, then some of this stuff might work as an additive. I don't think it'll work as a sole, its own. Uh, yeah, it's uh, interesting. A sole issue. All right, let's move on and talk about Theresa May's book. Uh, former Prime Minister's going to release a book uh, called The Abuse of Power, which she promises to reveal the way institutions close ranks in order to avoid dishonour. She's going to cover Hillsborough, Grenfell and, and, uh, and many others. My first thought, Danny, and maybe this is unfair, was you're in charge for a lot of these things. Um, is it a bit rich to then write a book about what a terrible business it all was? Well, let's see what she has to say yeah, on it. Um, and, you know, somebody who I know has actually read it and said they, th they thought it was very good. Okay. Um, I must admit that it, that writing a book, a self-reflective, revealing personal memoir is not what I had Teresa down for. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I respect her a lot, Packed actually. with hilarious I, anecdotes of I respect her a lot. you got in. I respect her a lot. But, you know, I, remember, I do remember uh, once Nick Robinson uh, on the BBC saying that Philip May was walking behind her, uh, him and he said, oh, well, here comes the man who knows whatever the issue was we were all covering at that moment. Here comes the man who knows. And I, I sent Nick a text saying, I'm not, I wouldn't be sure he did know. Uh, Theresa is so phenomenally unrevealing, <laughs> even to those people who are close to her, um, that, that even I think Philip May didn't always know what was in her mind. So I'd be surprised if it was a highly revealing book. But she is a very intelligent person and she does have a, a really amazing memory and command of issues. And so that might produce an interesting book. And certainly, as I said, you know, one of my colleagues said he'd read it and it was very good. But that's why I think it's better that she's doing a polemic on injustice rather than um, a chronologi chronological account of the various, you know, oh, Ledwin, Spellman amendments or whatever whatever they were that we were all delighted to have forgotten. Um, Chapter 42, The Malthouse Compromise. Gavin Barwell's book, by the way, which does cover that yeah. exactly literally that sort of issue that Maud has gone I really those people who are kind of quite interested in the in the sort of internals of politics which I know you are Henry um it's pretty good I don't know you probably yeah, yeah it. no yeah, no yeah. It, it is and um I don't need Theresa May giving me a less candid version <laughs> of it basically but 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 I think Theresa May on injustice you know I think like a lot of people I have been quite impressed by not just the diligence and commitment of her post-prime ministerial career, sitting in the House of Commons, you know, through mm -hmm. debates that most of her backbench colleagues can't be bothered to sit through, um, but but actually also um, her contributions in those mm -hmm. debates. I mean, you know, it sounds obvious because she rose to the top of politics, but there are other people who perhaps more briefly rose to the top of politics who I'm not sure their contributions will be quite as illuminating. But Theresa May does have a sort of knack for cutting to the heart of, of an issue, as she did... Uh, on the migration bill yesterday. And, you know, on injustice specifically, on the issues that were mentioned in the publisher's blurb, um, Hillsborough, for example, um, I think she does have a pretty good record. And I am interested in in, in what she has to say and, and you know, uh, her, her 
prognosis and you know whatever whatever it may be. I, I think it will be interesting, and I'm, I'm surprising myself by saying that I am looking forward to reading it. And you are. I mean, she does definitely deserve some credit. A for staying in the House of Commons and then using her interventions. She clearly wants to make the legislation. Yeah, the intervention yesterday was clearly designed to make the legislation better rather than just you know end up on the front pages. At least she turns up and makes some interventions there rather than doing it with paid speeches. Uh, right, let's turn our attention to, really interesting this, are the left more miserable than the right? Will Lloyd wrote about this in the Times yesterday, uh, saying, um, once you're aware of this link between private analysts and publicly became left-wing beliefs, it's difficult ever to forget. Uh, and he cited some uh, some research which suggested the people on the left were just more more miserable. Is that your experience, Danny? No, I don't think it is. I, I mean, I'm, I was a bit dubious about that although i you know will lloyd did evidence it very well and what he said at one point was there's a correlation this may be caused by uh, people be- being more miserable because they're on the left or people being on the left because they're more miserable and he said there was a correlation with it but i i see all these studies about kind of attitudes and whether it puts you on the left and right and i'm a bit dubious about them i must admit um and it hasn't really been my particular uh, impression but even even if it were my impression, it's such a sort of bad place to start in an argument. I think one of the things that everyone kind of goes is, um, oh, the left are full of humourless people. And then you kind of listen to the GB News trying to do a, a humorous match of the day and you thought, well, <laughs> I'm not sure that's that humorous. Will Lloyd works for the New Statesman, by the way, so I thought, as yeah, cries it, for help yeah. go, <laughs> uh, you know, using a column in the Times to do it. There's I'm, not a lot of banter, obviously, at the New well, Statesman offices. I, I worked there for, for a time, of course, uh, yeah. several years ago now, and I'm, I think most of them have left now, but a genuinely very fun bunch of colleagues, so, um, you know, sad, sad to see what it's become, clearly. Um, but look, I mean, in my day job reporting on politics, I have lunch, coffees, drinks with... MPs and politicians and advisors of all stripe, and I and I can assure Will that um, left-wing MPs, Labour MPs, do not have a monopoly on being boring <laughs> dining uh, companions. I think what the piece, and I, by the way, I thought it was really fun polemic, but but what I thought the piece was really saying was that sanctimonious people are boring, um, and you know, here here, but um, there are plenty of them of, of all stripes. I think the one thing that I thought there was a bit of crossover with this came up a couple of weeks ago. If I ended up doing a Twitter poll on it, on what, uh, who was. Uh, most likely to take offence at a joke at their expense, Corbyn Easters or uh, uh, supporters of the SNP, because I found previously having written about them in uh, the Times, they do get the most cross. If you write, you know, I write a column about quite often, I write a column taking the mickey out of a Tory cabinet minister, they'll message me to say, oh, oh very funny. You do the same thing about the SNP or Corbyn Easters in particular, not so much Labour people, but that particular group, they, they, they feel that they should be immune from yeah, Mickey Taylor. Mind you, I don't think many people enjoy it that much. I don't think people in UKIP enjoy it that much, to my, in my uh, experience, <laughs> either. Um, in other words, people, and I, you know, my wife would probably point out that I don't like it much either. You know, although I'm not sure people uh, always are able to join in humour that's at their own expense or find it funny. Because I suppose if you did find it funny, if you did think... Um, that you were innately amusing. You wouldn't do whatever it was that was innately amusing when people uh, spotted you. I, so, I suppose that, um, that what that Henry and I have a commonality in being Jewish, and it is probably true that Jewish people do uh, find humour in their own flaws. I think that probably is true. Uh, well, it depends what messages people send in about my appearance on this slot. <laughs> <laughs> Up to a point, yes. Yes. But... <laughs> So far, it's all been very positive. It's all been very positive. Um, anyway, let's just talk about uh, America because uh, you were you were there for the 
Which election was it? 2020. 2020. 2020 election. Um, and you were particularly taken by Mike Pence coming out against Donald Trump publicly over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, well, I was taken by it for two reasons. One, I just thought, this is quite significant that um, a man who, I mean, he's not officially running for president yet, but he's clearly running for president. Mike Pence was vice president. His, his, his sort of proto-campaign has been, Donald Trump was absolutely wonderful right up until January the 6th when he made an error and I defied him on that error. But other than that, it was all fantastic. Uh, and he now seems to be sort of hardening that rhetoric. Um, and I thought that was interesting in and of itself because it suggests that um, the mainstream, quote unquote, of the Re which is still pretty right by our standards, of the Republican Party, um, you know, their efforts to um, repel Donald Trump's attempt to become president again by sort of isolating January the 6th, not quite working. Uh, and they feel they need to broaden the attack. But also I thought there was a bit of a British parallel, and I'm not saying, to be clear, I'm really not that Donald Trump is like Boris Johnson or like Jeremy Corbyn. He's not. But both uh, Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer are, to an extent, politicians who are trying to distance themselves from a previous leader under whom they served yeah. uh, and, you know, publicly loyal at the time. You know, Keir Starmer and Jeremy Corbyn's shadow cabinet for a the bulk of his leadership, Rishi Sunak, uh, Boris Johnson's right hand for the bulk of his premiership. And um, both of them, I think, struggle um, to explain and will struggle in the coming election to explain why they put up with things that, um, you know, they are now distancing themselves from. And I think that's something that Mike Pence is struggling to do in America, albeit in a much more extreme circumstance. And I just think it's interesting. I suppose the the the, the fact they're both Rishi Sunak and Kirsten in that position, that it might just cancel it out and neither side will go there. Yes, I think so. <laughs> I think it'll be, I think Tories think that the you served Corbyn attack will work much better than it actually will work. I don't think it'll work very well. And yeah, that it does open up the you served Boris Johnson. Completely. Yeah, 100%. Henry Zeffman and Danny Finkelstein there. And of course, you can read them both in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, should we be teaching children about suicide prevention? Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. And on our big thing today, we want to talk about how we can best support young people going through tough times and some faced with suicidal thoughts. I'm delighted today to be joined in the studio by three men whose daughters all took their own lives and are now campaigning for suicide prevention to become part of the school curriculum. Andy Airy, Mike Palmer and Tim Owen, known as the Three Dads Walking, because they've raised more than a million pounds for charity through a series of walks in memory of their daughters, Sophie, Beth and Ellie. And this week, there was a debate in Parliament around their campaign to get suicide prevention on the curriculum after a petition was signed by 150 thousand 
people. I'm also joined, and very patched you to this morning, by uh, the Conservative MP Nick Fletcher, who's a member of the Petitions Committee, who opened the debate yesterday. We'll come to you in just a sec, uh, Nick. But first of all, uh, gents, th- really good to see you. Thank you for coming in. And lots of people will be familiar with your with your campaign and the extraordinary work that you've done. But for those that aren't, let's go right back to the beginning. And Mike, um, it started with this whole sort of campaign and you coming together. It started when you lost your daughter, uh, Beth. Is that right? I lost Beth on the 28th of March 2020. But um, Andy's probably the best to begin this story because uh, he lost uh, Sophie about 14 months earlier. Yeah. Yeah, so we lost Soph um, just before Christmas 2018. Um, and it came out of the blue, shattered our lives. She was a lovely young girl, um, or young woman, 29, nurse, um, going through a bit of a tough time in her life, but nothing spectacularly awkward in terms of uh, the other things that other people had gone through. And so uh, a suicide just shattered us. And it was off the back of that we were introduced to Papyrus Prevention of Young Suicide, um, suicide prevention charities through them we discovered that suicide is the biggest killer of young people in the UK mm. and that prompted me to get off my backside and try and raise some money and raise awareness so I've been involved with that for just over four years now um, and we came yeah well that was how I got started but then it was Mike lost Beth nearly three years ago isn't it now yeah it's nearly three years ago but um, Tim lost um, Emily just uh, about five, six days before I lost Beth. But, um, yeah, sadly, my youngest daughter, she was only 17 years old. She was the last person in the world you think could ever take her own life. She was a talented singer. She was trained to be a vocal artist. She had a huge, uh, many circles of friends. She had a wicked sense of humour. She was loved by everyone, and she loved everyone. You know, and it's... um, Why Beth took her own life, I don't think we'll ever properly know you know but um you know being a father the uh, the thing is you bring up your children you know to be safe you you talk to them about sort of crossing the road stranger danger and everything but um sadly i never saw what was going under my going on under my own nose and that was uh, my own daughter's i think deteriorating mental health Tim, just to sort yeah. of complete your your story, tell us about Emily. So Em was nineteen when she took her own life, and that was uh, three years ago. In, in kind of next week, uh, Em was diagnosed with autism when she was fifteen. She'd struggled for a few years, but once she had that diagnosis, her mental health improved massively. She got GCSE. She got an apprenticeship. She, everything was going in the right direction. She was working in our village pub, and uh, at the, the, the things that got her through her autism were were driving a little mini going to the pub and working at the pub and also going to the gym and all that lot was denied from her as we started to cough in the house and she just couldn't cope with it and she took her life kind of five days before Beth took hers kind of three three years ago and it was about four weeks after uh, Em took her life that my my eldest daughter came to me and this we were absolutely devastated broken as as all families are affected by suicide and my, my eldest daughter came to me and said dad I've been talking to a bloke in Manchester which was exactly what a dad doesn't want to hear. <laughs> no, no, dad, it's okay, it's okay. It's another bereaved family like us. And she told me about Beth, who was 17, and Mike. And Mike and I ended up talking that day. And for the next few months, Mike and I kind of spoke, you know, basically got ourselves through, uh, supported each other, peer support, which was, which was massive. Because, I mean, a t- just an awful thing to go through at any time. But during lockdown... 
horrendous. M's funeral, there were six people there. 19-year-old girl with six people. Best funeral, I think there were eight people there. Like, yes. wow. so yeah. you know, the village that we live in, small village, 500 residents, they're all lying the streets to go out. But normally, when you lose someone, that you go through a ritual after people die, you know, you have mourning, you have a wake, you have a church service. We were denied all that, like, yeah. we had a 25 minute service in the creme. And my wife, you know, after M died, was uh, in my arms just crying. No one will remember M in a year's time, and that kind of started something off. And then a few weeks after Mike and I kind of first spoke on the radio, we, none of us knew each other. Yeah. Uh, a, a, a few weeks after that, I found a note from him, and it was probably the most eloquent thing she'd ever written about why she'd basically given up on life. And one of the things was don't be ashamed. Well, I'd never been ashamed. We'd always admitted straight away that she'd taken her own life. And, and the second thing was, was if people can learn from me, then let them. So armed with those three things, I told yeah. Mike about it. It's like, we've got to do something, mate. We've got to do something to fight back. And Mike was telling me about getting in touch with Papyrus. And, you know, Papyrus is, you know, supports young people, biggest killer of young people under 35. I've been on a mind course and, you know, there's, that, that explains some of the statistics behind suicide. You know, 6,000 people a year-ish in the UK and Republic of Ireland. And it's like, this, this can't be right. All these deaths can't be right. So we started just to talk about, well, we didn't know what we could do. Didn't know what we could do. And so then how did you, the three of you then, go from having these conversations to getting your walking shoes on. Well, we were all in different places, so these yeah. two had got together, but then it was uh, Fluke, another one of our, my child, and Mike, actually, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I'd started um, doing courses with Papyrus Prevention on Young Suicide, wonderful charity, that, um, but I was taking uh, CIS courses, uh, applied suicide intervention skills training courses and suicide awareness courses. I needed to understand what had happened to Beth. Um, I was broken myself. I fell into a suicidal spiral after losing my youngest daughter. It was absolute despair, absolute grief. Um, but there's something in you that tells you to fight back. So I started doing courses and stuff with Papyrus, fundraising with them. And uh, I met Andy's son, Gregor. And uh, Andy was a bit of a legend already with Papyrus because he'd started fundraising and doing stuff in the name of uh, his daughter, Sophie. Yeah. So it just started to link since Andy lives up in Cumbria, Moreland yeah. in Cumbria. I live in Sale, Greater Manchester, and Tim lives out in uh, Sheldon in, in Norfolk. You know, it started coming together. This is a UK-wide problem. Yeah. You know, maybe we could walk from each house. So <laughs> I took this little map up to Andy met Andy for the first time, and, uh, and basically, we've never looked back since, have we? <laughs> That's one way of putting it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've just kept on, you've just kept on walking. Yeah. And were you then um, surprised by the attention that you got, and the, the and presumably then lots of stories and people coming to you in, in similar situations? Yeah, what, what um, helped us was our, uh, a friend of mine is Alison Freeman, who's BBC, reporter who I've known for donkey's years and she'd helped me when I was doing some run for stuff under the run for Sophie label and so once the three of us got together and started to plan what we were doing I said I've I know this BBC reporter would you mind if I told her the story and once we did she linked us with BBC breakfast which obviously then raised our profile mm. massively but then just in the run into the first walk in 2021 the day before we we walked Daniel Craig uh, donated £10,000 and allowed his name to be put forward. Yeah. And it, that was the week after 
the last Bond film was released or something like that. Mm -hmm. So at the time, he was the highest profile film yeah. star in the world, which just meant the media interest in what we were doing just exploded. And in fact, I think we've got a clip because he's, he's sent you a, a video message. This is, uh, this is Daniel Craig. Andy, Mike, Tim, just incredible. What you achieved last time around and what you're about to do now is just truly, truly heroic. Um, I'm sending you love and my best wishes. Shout loudly. I know you'll be heard. All my very best. Good luck. So Tim, explain when he says what you're doing now. So you've already raised a million pounds for charity. Yeah, so that was it. That message came to us at the very start of the second walk. So the yeah. first walk, we were, it was all about raising money, all yeah. about raising money. And it was only during that walk we were met by so many other suicide bereaved parents and siblings and stuff, and none of them knew that suicide was the biggest killer of under 35s. So by the time we got to the end of the walk, the first walk, it's like, right, we've got to do something about this. It's not just about raising money, it's about raising, let's try and do something mm -hmm. proactively. Let's try and prevent those suicides yeah. happening. So we got this idea about putting suicide prevention in the school curriculum from Gregor, who, yeah. uh, who who'd just been through school and said it would be a really useful tool mm -hmm. to have. And if this is the biggest risk facing our young kids, let's let's train them about it. And it just seemed to make sense. So our next walk, we sought support from people like Andy Burnham, who helped us craft the petition. And uh, it, it, that that message you got from Daniel Craig was at the start of the second walk. And unfortunately, it was just as the Queen had passed away. So the, the, the second walk was quite heavily disrupted. We'd already started writing the petition, but it hadn't been through the petitions mm. committee. And so the, the second walk, the idea of that was to go between the four nations of the UK. The first walk between our homes, we got written to by a doctor, a GP from Edinburgh, saying it's a problem across all four nations, please, please highlight that. So that was our little, how can we do that? Let's walk between the four kind of seats of power across the United Kingdom. And that was Daniel Craig wishing us luck wishing ahead that. of that. So, ahead yeah, of doing that. Yeah. Mm. It's really, um, Mike, when you talk about these lessons, what do they actually involved what's the sort of thing that you're doing because um and how, how do you because presumably it's a very sensitive thing because what you don't want to be doing is telling people who hadn't thought about it before to start thinking this is something to be interested in yeah absolutely you've got to remember what we want taught on the curriculum is suicide prevention mm. so it has to be done age appropriately it has to be done sensitively you know when it's introduced there's all sorts of ideas banded round but basically what I will say that, um, you know, sadly, we met parents who 11-year-old children have taken their own lives. In some cases, I think there's a nine-year-old. Whether this goes down on suicide and the statistics, sometimes it's, it goes down as a narrative verdict or something yeah. like that. But, it, but they are certainly suicides. But what I'm saying is being age-appropriate and sensitive, maybe we should start, as the Princess of Wales says, with our basically early years. Mm. You start teaching kids about their emotions, how to deal with their emotions, and you build on this through school, through primary school, into secondary school, where certainly you must introduce suicide prevention. We've seen it, well, I've seen it um, being taught a couple of times in, in, a, in a couple of schools. It's not as scary when it's taught as you think, because it's a very positive outcome. A lot of the kids actually get it, you know, they're the ones who are struggling. They're the ones who want to know about it. And by giving them these life skills to keep themselves safe, you are investing in them for the future. You are making them sort of um, far more resilient, mm. you know, and they'll be resilient. And that, 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 people. that's what it's about. It ultimately, is. it's not even about the word suicide. It's about dealing with emotions, finding help. 
help seeking behavior yeah, yeah. absolutely that, yeah, that, yeah. that's what we want to encourage you know and it, this awareness should be for everyone as well the teachers and parents and everyone it will help save lives we don't want other families to go through what we we are still going through it is utterly brutal our children are the most precious things we've got in our lives and if we can get downstream you know introduce these things be proactive rather than reactive yeah. we'll save lives that's yeah. what the petition's about and that's what the debate was about is there something that you you each wish you'd you'd known before signs to look out for or you know the sorts of things that, yeah. that, that parents I, have been told I, I think when the yeah, it, it, the, the whole point is that all three of us didn't know about suicide prevention charities. Mm. We didn't know about Papyrus's Hopeline mm. UK, which is manned by suicide prevention uh, professionals. Yeah. You know, if any three of us or our girls had known about there was a, something actually uh, suicide prevention charity were a thing that they yeah. could have reached out to, maybe just maybe one of them would be alive, yeah. and that just maybe I'd take that right now. Yeah. I would take that, and that's all we're trying to do to highlight to young people that there are people out there. And it's also interesting, the, tr the training that we've seen delivered gives you life skills. You know, everyone has downtimes. We all, we're all adults. We all have downtimes. Could be your career, could be relationships go down. And to hear the suicide prevention charities delivering suicide prevention material to young people saying, look, those downtimes, those really dark times, on average only last about 15 minutes. So if you've got the skills to get through those 15 minutes, or you can see that in a mate, and you can give them the skills to get through that 15 minutes, before we knew that, all of us had said if our girls had taken 10 seconds out, they probably wouldn't have made the same decision. Mm. If they'd just thought about what they were doing, they probably wouldn't have taken their own lives. And it's just about giving kids a second chance yeah. so they don't make that stupid decision. Let's bring in uh, Nick. Nick Fletcher, Tory MP. We'll talk in a moment about how this is actually going to work in terms of uh, the government's response to the debate because we'll hear from some of the debate. But just how, did, how, do, the, how do you feel as a sort of... Well, as a, as, a, as a politician, but also as a human being, listening to these stories and how they've affected you? Oh, they've affected me quite um, quite a lot, actually. I mean, I've, uh, I'm, a, I'm a dad myself. Yeah. Um, I've got two, two relatively young children, 23 and 21. Um, and I've just been, just been saying to Andy on my way in here, just because of, um, of the awareness that three dads, these three dads here have, have put out there, it's made, um, it's made me check more on my children. Uh, and I think that's really important, um, going home and asking if the kids are okay, but asking them twice. I always remember asking a, a friend of mine, are you okay? And he'd say, yeah. No, I'd say, are you really okay? And he looked at me a little bit gone out. What? I said, no, I said, are you really okay? Yeah, I think so. Why? Well, it's important that we it's important that we ask each other. Um, I think it's important that we ask as kids. I think it's important that we ask as parents, brothers, sisters, work. For, I think it's really important that we ask that question. Um, it's so yeah, it's had a huge effect on my life. They've had a huge effect on an awful lot of other people's lives. And um, the money's great. The money helps spread the word. But um, the awareness that these three brave dads um, have created uh, within uh, within Westminster, as well as the rest of the country, has been absolutely fantastic. I take my hat off to all three of them. Yeah, hundred um, percent. There'll be lots of people listening to this who, who totally agree. Let's have a listen to this. Is the uh, Labour MP Debbie Abrahams? Unfortunately, um, our much-loved twenty-year-old nephew Jack died when he took his life. Jack was a lot younger than his eleven cousins and was doted on by all. We will never know exactly why our Jack took his life. We miss him every day. 
want to do all we can to prevent others from feeling suicide is the only way out of the pain that they feel, because it isn't. Thank you. That was Labour MP Debbie Abrahams talking about her 20-year-old nephew, Jack, who took his own life. Uh, she said he'd been treated for severe acne and his family went, well, more awareness of the dangers of uh, groups of drugs uh, that he, uh, he was taking. And, uh, and it made me, actually knowing that we were going to have this conversation, made me reflect on uh, losing a friend of mine when I was in sort of 19, 20. Mm. And I suppose, um, Tim, it's a reminder when we talk about school, but we're not just talking about children who are in their, at school. But it's about trying to give people the life skills long term. Absolutely. It's if we st start the children earlier, uh, early and saying, you know, sometimes, especially in primary school, you don't want to use the suicide word. You might want to use the if you don't feel like being here. That's a really gentle way of approaching yeah. it. We've seen lots of parents do that. But if we can get those life skills in as they go, especially off to university, because that's a massive step in loads of people's lives. And we hear lots from university students that you know, we heard a lady. We met the lady this morning coming out of the hotel whose daughter had lost uh, friends at university yeah. to suicide. So it, it's about giving our kids the best chance so they, when they have those thoughts, those very, very dark thoughts, they know how to handle them and they know where to turn to. It might be touched a bit on the, the impact of, of lockdown, but the, what's happened over the last two, three years in terms of those key life moments, building friendships, going to university, but then finding, you know, not quickly building those sort of support structures and all that sort of thing. Again, it's a, and then it's those life skills that, that go on afterwards as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's many factors that lead to suicide, obviously, but I think some of the most powerful stories, just going offline slightly here, that we hear are from those who struggled, who have basically been in despair and in many cases have taken their, attempted to take their own mm. lives but now are living lives they want to. Yeah. That they are living lives. They Each day might be a struggle. Each day one day better than others, but they are living lives they want to. And, you know, if we can spread that, if we can spread that hope as well, that's that's what we're aiming for. Yeah, 100%, Mike. It's, good, uh, it's a good message. Let's go back then to the debate from yesterday. Uh, this was the, uh, which is obviously the, the, the man in matters and all this, Nick Gibbs, the schools minister, rounding off uh, the debate and uh, talking about uh, the government's future plans to include more education on prevention in the curriculum. Let's take a listen. We have brought forward the review of the RSHE statutory guidance, which was originally due uh, to commence in September 2023, the review that is. The current content uh, I have already set out on mental health and well-being covers a large amount of what is important in suicide prevention, but we will look further uh, at this as a priority area for the review. So that was Nick Gibb talking about looking further at... So, so this review, RSHE, if you're not aware, is Relationship, Sex and Health Education. Um, Andy, what did you make of that, that response? <laughs> it's what we expected, I think, is the, is the right way to put it. We appreciate... Now we've been involved with um, talking to government for a little while, um, now we appreciate that things aren't going to happen overnight. Uh, what we heard in the debate were MP after MP after MP stand up and say, this is the right thing to do. Mm. Uh, and many shared, as you heard with Debbie Abrams, shared some very personal and emotional stories. So the message that uh, Peter Gibb got, uh, Nick Gibb Nick got, Gibb. sorry, was it couldn't have been more powerful and coming from his peers within in Parliament, the, his M the MPs that are sitting there. We appreciate that as a government minister, he was never going to stand up and say, yeah, that's a great idea, we're going to change it tomorrow, because it doesn't work like that. But the fact that 
the the government have already brought forward the review, which was due to start in September, is now happening now, starting yeah. now. And he's talking about looking at suicide prevention as a priority uh, um, topic within that review, speaks volumes. And uh, we appreciate he's then got to go out and talk to um, experts and interested parties, whether that be charities or uh, educationalists or suicide bereaved parents. But we get the feeling that... Um, people are really pointing in the same direction now. So uh, we're very hopeful this is going to happen sooner rather than later. And Nick, I suppose this is an example of where uh, Andy, Mike and Tim go through just an awful situation, come together, think, well, what can we do about it? Launch a petition, get 150,000 signatures, which means it gets debated in Parliament. So actually suddenly, you know, that is a direct link between people previously not involved in politics at all, suddenly setting, at least setting the agenda in Westminster and putting it on the table, and then, therefore, hopefully, the government will, will feel like it's got to, got to react. Yeah, I've been on Petitions Committee pretty much since I started as a Member of Parliament, and it's fantastic. Um, an awful lot of people get their, the issues that are important to them actually in front of a, in front of a minister, and uh, three dads here, they've uh, done a, a real good job, and it was a huge uh, petition, 159,000, I think it, I think it was, before it was closed. So, yeah, they've had their day in, day in Parliament, but um, as I say, with all the all the MPs and all the stories, it was, I don't think any minister can walk away and from that and say, uh, that's not important, and then I've got uh, I've got faith in Nick Gibb that he will, uh, he will do something with that. Uh, finally, then, what 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 can people do now? What are you what are you asking for people to do now? You've got them signed the petition. They've donated money. If people are listening to this and thinking, I want to do something, but keep the pressure on. So keep writing yeah. to your MPs because we've got to shout and shout loudly, as Daniel Craig said. We, we've got to keep the pressure on because something else will come up in government and it'll get distracted. We are meeting uh, Gillian Keegan, Secretary of State for Education, which is brilliant. She's written to us twice over the last couple of weeks, so we know we're going to meet her. And Andy's MP, Dr Neil Hudson, raised a question in PMQs and uh, the Prime Minister's going to meet us as well. So everything is going in the right direction, but we need people to keep the pressure on Westminster. They're the people that make the decisions, so it's vitally important they, they do that. Well, actually, one thing as well we should say, one thing you can do is keep donating. If you look at our website, threedadswalking.uk, there's a dirty that's, that's what I was after. There's a dirty <laughs> great donate button on that. On that, there's, in fact, there's several donate, donate buttons on that page. So press the donate button, and all that money goes to Papyrus. all go, It all goes to Papyrus, yeah, uh, who do uh, run this Hopeline UK, which is a, a crisis line for for people who, who struggle or are struggling, yeah. or concern others who want help. But they also go out and teach people, and they go out and influence. So the chief exec was in Parliament with us yesterday. Yeah and rattling the cages of the ministers. So, uh, you know, it's a great charity, but they need funding. So press the donate button. Absolutely right. Mike, what's that web address again? www.3dadswalking.uk Fantastic. Congratulations. Well done. Uh, really good to see you. Really appreciate your... Because I know you're you're busy in demand. Uh, really appreciate you coming in and sharing your stories. But also, just uh, keep up the amazing work, because I know it is making a difference. Uh, Andy Airy, Mike Palmer and Tim Owen, the three dads walking. Thanks thanks for coming in. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. And uh, MP uh, Nick Fletcher as well. Thanks for, for coming in and explaining how uh, all that works. And if you've been affected by any of the issues we've been discussing, the Papyrus Hope Line, which we've been discussing, uh, is open from 9am until midnight every day. And the number to call is 0800 068 4141. That's 0800 068 4141. Four one. So either uh, you can either call the number, or or if you can, then uh, go online and donate. 
That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from?